I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, Yue Xu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. And our special guest on this episode, I feel like has really defined what modern dating is. We've been following Dr. Helen Fisher for a long time. And I not only I think has she put relationship research on the map, mm-hmm. but has made it relevant and cool for like younger generations. Yeah, for you sure. agree, Julie. For sure. So quick bio for Dr. Helen Fisher. She's a world-renowned biological anthropologist, senior research fellow of the Kinsey Institute, and the chief scientific advisor for Match. She's conducted extensive research and written six books on the evolution and future of human sex, love, marriage, and gender differences in the brain and how your personality style 
shapes who you are and who you love. She's currently using her knowledge of brain chemistry to discuss the neuroscience of business leadership and innovation. She is from New York, currently lives in New York and single. We've been wanting to talk to Dr. Helen Fisher for a long time, and it's so exciting to have her here talk about the most comprehensive survey of singles in America, which happens every year. Is that correct? Yes, it does. Absolutely. And this was done by Match. It was done with Match. Yes, with absolutely. Match. Okay. Uh, Great. I do it with them, but we do not poll the Match members. This oh. is a national representative sample of Americans based of American singles based on the U.S. census. So it's a scientific study. We've done it for nine years, collected on over 5,000 Americans from every background, every walk of life, uh, every age group, age 18 to 71 plus, uh, oh, wow. every part of the country, etc. And when you do conduct the study, do you go into it with a hypothesis already? I do. Yes. I don't know if other academics do, but there's all kinds of things that I hypothesize and I just want to see if it's true or not. And yeah. uh, um, and there's a lot of trend questions too. I mean, there's some questions that we just simply ask every year. We just want to know how times are changing. And then every year we choose a whole pile of new questions. And we've done it for nine years. We're just about to, to do our 10th. So we've got data on uh, 45,000 Americans. It's wow. I do research as well. And I'm just curious, like, how do you send the survey? Is it a survey that's sent? We start in August and we start now again, uh, and we design about 200 questions, and um, and then uh, and that takes until middle of October or, or or early November. Then we give it to one of these survey national survey poll on the internet. Uh, they collect the data. The data comes back of thousands of pages. I mean, it's just <laughs> unbelievable, and it comes back um, in sort of middle of December and destroys Christmas for me. I mean, really. <laughs> and, I through it and everybody else sifts through it. And uh, we're looking for patterns. I'm looking for the answers to certain questions. And I'm also thinking very clearly about, you know, what does the public want to hear? What do they want to know about? What are the questions, what are the questions that they're asking? I mean, for example, this year we did a whole thing on the Me Too movement. Mm. Well, a lot of people have been talking about Me Too and their particular experiences. But I don't know if anybody found out what is the impact of Me Too. I mean, right. mm-hmm. Thinking in uh, in America, so another one I did some time ago was on a polyamory. People mm-hmm. are talking about that. So, and then I've got all the questions that I want to know personally. So, from Darwinian perspectives, I mean, I anticipate that people will act in certain ways. Am I right or wrong? What were some of your hypotheses going into this year's survey? Oh, hypotheses for this year. <laughs> I guess I want to know more about millennials. I'm very impressed with millennials. Huh. Uh, <laughs> Not something we hear all the time. <laughs> I am at the very uh, edge I mean, of a millennial. You guys are ambitious. You are ambitious. You don't want to catch feelings until you are ready. <laughs> and I wrote an academic article called Slow Love. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm courtship in the digital age. And I just wanted to see and whether I'm really right about it. And one third of people in their 20s today still live at home. I mean, this is one of the reasons they're not having sex. You guys are having sex, but you want to define the relationship. You want to know where it's going. And if it's not working for you, you're going to get rid of it and move on to other things because you have very little time. You're very busy. Very interesting to me is that 40% of you don't want to date until you've got more self-acceptance. Yeah. That is unusual. These are people who are really preparing for what they're doing. 
I wanted to know more about how men and women act in courtship. I had the hypothesis that men are the new feminists, not women. Mm. I think we definitely want to dive into both of those deeper, like really interested in this like slow love, fast sex, but maybe we start at the gender roles. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, women are really fighting to have equal status and equal everything in the workforce. And I understand that. I wrote a whole book on it called The First Sex, actually, uh, The Natural Talents of Women and How They're Changing the World. And I felt for a long time that women are piling into the job market and progressing in that fashion. But I wanted to know, what about courtship? So I asked various questions. And one of them is, you know, I ended up finding out that, for example, 75% of men today would be perfectly happy if a woman was the first to reach out and say hello on a dating site but only 19% of women do it. Why do you think that's the case? Um, uh, Let me tell you some of the others. Uh, 90% of men are happy if a woman is the first uh, uh, to ask for his phone number, but only 14% do it. 90% of men are perfectly happy if a woman initiates the first kiss and only 15% do it. And on and on and on it goes. I mean, women are being much more traditional when it comes to courtship, but that is a wonderful question of yours. Why? I don't know, but here... (laughs) my hypothesis, and you could have an opinion too. I'm just wondering in courtship whether there is a biological aspect of this, that women, for millions of years, women wanted to see who was interested in them, Mm -hmm. what that kind of person did for a living. Were they lazy? Were they smart? Were they capable of being a good parent and and, and a good husband? And I think it's been men who needed to sort of show their traits. Mm-hmm. I mean, women are the custodian of the egg. I mean, we're the ones that are going to have the babies for millions of years. It was dangerous to have a baby. I mean, not only the nine months of carrying it through very open grasslands where there's lions and leopards and other things around, but uh, women everywhere in the world spend more, more of their time in the actual day-to-day care of very small infants. So as a result, men fall in love faster than women do. They fall in love more often. Uh, men want to introduce a, a woman to friends and family sooner when they are in love. Men want to move in sooner. And men are two and a half times more likely to kill themselves when a relationship is over. So wow. I think that this reticence of women, sure, it's partially cultural. I mean, we've been trained for right. 10,000 years to be recipients of sex, the you know, the experience of courtship. But there may be a biological aspect of it too, that women just want to see the scene, see who's on top, and see how men court them. You know, what is he offering me before they make their move? So one thing I want to unpack a little more is all the stats that you just gave around men kind of falling deeper and getting more like emotionally attached than women. I feel like there's- Faster, just faster, faster. not not more, but maybe maybe more too. I mean, men are two and a half times more likely to kill themselves. So perhaps you- Right. So, okay. And that piece, like, I think there's always been this feeling that like women are more likely to enter a relationship and men are more likely to like pull back and not necessarily move as fast. That was like historic feelings. Are you seeing and that? That's ridiculous. I've been trying to tell, I've been <laughs> trying to get that straight with the women's magazines for 40 years. Just don't want to listen. They <laughs> want to think that women are the more romantic and that men are more likely to sleep around. You know, among people on under age 40, women are just as sexually active as men, just as adulterers. So this isn't new stats. This You said you've been trying to get this in for 40 years. It's, society isn't seeing that as reality. Right. Well, I, I think it's uh, one, I want to say a couple things. One is, I think it's interesting 90% of men want a woman to ask for their number first and 90% of men support a woman initiating the first kiss. I'm like, 
is it really 90%? Like it, it should be 100%. Who would not be okay, <laughs> right? Who would not be okay with well, someone initiating? But I do think personally for me, I've never been in a hunter kind of mindset. I've never w- gone into a bar and said, zeroed in on a guy and said, I need yeah. to approach this guy. I have to observe first and make sure one, I feel safe. And two, I like the traits I'm seeing, like you were saying, Helen. And then whoever makes eye contact with me from that pool of people, then I can choose like who I may be possibly be interested in. So I think biologically for me, these stats make sense. Yeah. The thing is, don't forget that before you walked into that bar, you probably spent at least an hour washing your hair, putting on makeup, wearing the right dress or skirt or whatever, you know, and making yourself attractive so that all of those boys take a real good look at you and then begin to sort of compete to to see if they can get your attention. So, I mean, women play in the mating game. We are players. In many respects, I think we're more subtle. Mm. So one thing I thought was really interesting that I saw from one of your other interviews that the number one turn on now for men is a female entrepreneur. Isn't that fabulous? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like historically, kind of as a woman, you were told that men like caregivers, they like nurses and teachers. And it was always like kind of trying to like emphasis of like trying to fit into that mold. Why do you think this shift has changed? I think that there is biology to this. Being an entrepreneur, uh, these are the in independent, creative, daring people. And today, men are looking for a companion. They're mm. not looking for somebody to just to nurse them. They can do that by themselves. They can you know, struggle off to the doctors or to a hospital. You know, times have really changed. I think you're hitting on something really important. You know, everybody says that it's technology that's changing love. Technology is just enabling us to do the same old thing, (laughs) just meet new people. But the big, big, huge international trend is women piling into our market. And that is what is changing things. I mean, a hundred years ago, a woman needed to marry a man who was from the same religious background, uh, the same social set, had enough money to support her, and hopefully lived in the farm next door. We don't have to do that anymore. Women are looking for a companion and men are looking for a companion. I mean, men don't need a, a, a woman to darn their socks. They just go out and buy new socks. And they don't need a woman to, to cook dinner. They can call in or they can take out. Or they can go out themselves and get a hot dog, whatever. Yeah. So we're looking for different things in our partners. And I think this is a wonderful, you know, I've never asked, nobody's ever asked me about this. I really think it's important that the biggest turn on is that men want a woman as an entrepreneur. It really says a lot about men. They really want an interesting, creative, daring, independent partner instead of a caretaker. Does that feed into your hypothesis that men are becoming more feminist? I guess it is. You guys are putting this together very nicely. Thank you. (laughs) But one thing that's very interesting is, you know, I mean, for millions of years, we lived in these little hunting and gathering groups and women commuted to work together. Their home was 60 to 80% of the evening meal. The double income family was the rule. And for millions of years, uh, women were were regarded as just sexually, socially, and economically powerful as men. Um, As a result, what we're doing is we're shifting the last 10,000 years of all of our areas and belief that a woman's place is in the home, virginity, marriage, till death does part. And we're moving forward to kinds of women that we were a million years ago. What we're really seeing, as I mentioned, is the uh, return of the kind of women that we always were. Men liked the female entrepreneur because for millions of years, women were entrepreneurs. So one of the things that we're seeing, just like from talking to so many daters and obviously being in the scene ourselves, is that a lot of times like men don't really know what to do these days. Age. Like 
They know that women are equal, so it doesn't necessarily feel fair that they should be paying on first dates. But also they're holding on to traditional values that, like you were saying, that women are kind of like trying to find the best mates they want to impress. And on top of that, there's a layer of the Me Too movement where men feel like they can't really make the first move anymore because they don't know what to do in a setting. (laughs) So what should men be doing? Yeah. Well, uh, this is a big issue for both sexes. I mean, I remember times when I've walked towards a door and I've seen a man begin to sweat and he doesn't know whether to open the door for me (laughs) or let me open the door. I mean, even down to the details. Mm -hmm. And it's because we are at this time of such tremendous uh, transition that no new rules have been made. But what's interesting is in the Me Too movement, we, we studied this at Singles in America this year. This is our newest data with Match. And we wanted to know, you know, has the Me Too movement changed male behavior? And sure enough, 40% of men in our study of over 5,000 national representative sample are now more reserved uh, with a female colleague at work. Mm-hmm. 33% are more reserved on a date. 35% of men are more reserved in public. 28% are more reserved on social media. And you might think that that's little, but when public health professionals study social changes uh, and you tell people to stop smoking, a tiny percent will stop smoking. You tell them to stop eating this or that, a tiny percent will do it. So this is an enormous, enormous Mm -hmm. cultural change in only just a couple of years. uh, Men are really responding to this and they flat out don't know what to do. They really don't know what to do. I think men are in a state of of real transition. You know what I really think this need to move? I think it's a correction device. It's a writing device. You know, uh, you know, the stock market does corrections. Mm-hmm. And we got 10,000 years of uh, men's roles are very concrete. Women's roles were very concrete. Um, men held the money. Women ran the home. Um, men were economically powerful than women. And women were regarded as sort of as lesser creatures, really, in many respects. Right. I think this whole swing towards Me Too and other aspects of this is a correction device. And it will settle down as we build the new tradition. Yeah. I, I think we're already beginning to see it. I don't think that anywhere near as many men are offering to take you home on the first date and I think more and more respectful of women. I think that it's a real transition for men, but it's also a real transition for women like mm-hmm. me who straddle Gen X and millennial generations where I still have these traditional values or I feel like I want a man who's chivalrous. I want a man who makes the first move, but I also want a man who respects an independent woman. In this sort of climate right now, it's hard to find a man like that because most <laughs> men like are- a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, most men are kind of stepping back and, and just observing before they even make a first move. So I think it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years where my cohort of women yeah. will be and how we can transition our mindset. Well, I think that's really important. By the way, the millennials are leading the way. 37% of Gen X and millennial women are willing to step up and make the first to text after a first date. So you guys are leading the way. You are leading <laughs> the way from 10,000 years of cultural traditions. It's my guess it's going to take a long time before 90% of women are putting the moves on 14% of men. Yeah. <laughs> 
(laughs) It's super interesting, though, because we've talked to, like, younger people that are in their early 20s and, like, all these, like, rules of dating that, like, we said that we kind of were, like, the elder millennials we like (laughs) at the top range here. Like, all that stuff is, like, foreign to them of, like, kind of waiting for the guy and all that piece. But I, yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's, like, this interesting unravelment, though, because I kind of identify with what you just said, UA. It's, like, on one side, like, we're talking about paying on dates. Like, why would it be fair that the man is paying? I make just as much money as they do. Why should they be paying for it? But then on the other side, it's like we're ingrained that like if he really likes you, he'll pay or like it'll show that he like really values it or like is working to impress you. Like there is this struggle of like the old like... Yeah, and I get turned off if a guy doesn't pay on a date right, to, but to be truthful. I mean, I can't like unravel that. Right, I can't. Agreed. <laughs> it's like I get it logically, but whatever it is emotionally, it's just yeah. not there yet. Yeah, it's not connecting for you me. You know, I don't even think that you're everybody's going to get it. Uh, there yet, quote unquote, but uh, because I, I think men want to be needed. And I think women want to be cherished. I think that they're displaying when they pay that bill. Right. They're showing mm-hmm. I've got the money and I like right. you. What's different now is that the official first date these days starts much later in the relationship. Yeah. In my day, and I'm a lot older, I picked you up. Oh, you know, we didn't spend a lot of money. He put me up after dinner and, and we went and played miniature golf, you know, whatever. But these days, a first date in New York City anyway, costs somebody uh, $200. Right. $200. And so we're seeing a different pattern of dating in something like 70% of singles, particularly the young, they start out or you start out. I'm not sure about the two of you, but uh, just friends, we're, we're just, just friends, <laughs> slowly move friends with benefit. And you learn a lot between the sheets about somebody, not just the way they make love, but uh, whether they're patient, whether they're kind, whether they can listen, whether they've got a sense of humor. And then they slowly move out and then they have the first date. 34% of singles today have had sex before the first date. And older people think that this is insanity. <laughs> what it is, singles, particularly the millennials, you don't have very much time. You don't have very much money. First date has gotten important. Let's hold that thought for a second. We'll get right back to it. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use a code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use a code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. 
He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. You don't want to spend that kind of time, that kind of money, and that kind of energy. The first date is taken on much more important. And I think that who pays is, is a big part of it. One thing that I'm interested in, because you were saying that people are like hooking up before they're actually going on dates or going on less dates because of the cost and all that. But with dating apps, like I saw in your stats, dating apps are still the number one way that people are finding that first date. How does kind of that yes. work if like you're kind of the first meet is a first date or people just not thinking of that as an actual date and they're doing more low-key stuff. Let's take a moment to focus on mental health. Sometimes I go through phases where I don't feel great. I feel like there's something preventing me from achieving happiness and I'm not motivated to do anything. I used to just wait for these phases to pass because that's the way I've always dealt with it. But then I discovered BetterHelp where I can get online counseling and connect with professional, credible, and compassionate counselors in a safe and private online environment. BetterHelp's counselors specialize in depression, relationships, trauma, and so many other areas. Everything stays confidential and you can always change your counselor. With over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across 50 states and your choice of communication modes, including text, chat, phone, and video, BetterHelp has made it easy for me to find help. BetterHelp is also really affordable. And for Dateable listeners only, you get 10% off your first month with the discount code DATEABLE. Just go to betterhelp.com dateable fill out a simple questionnaire so they can match you with the great counselor. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash dateable and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 10% off your first month. Now back to this episode. How does kind of that yes. work if like you're kind of the first meet is a first date or people just not thinking of that as an actual date and they're doing more low-key stuff. Oh, I'm hoping that the vast majority of them are just going out for a coffee or a drink and not regarding it as much as a date as a look-see. So basically, people aren't putting that much emphasis on a first date if they're meeting online. A lot of these first dates, quote-unquote, are meeting in a bar for a drink or there is no dinner involved unless they begin to like each other. So maybe it's the definition then that I'm kind of going on because I feel like for me, because I'm in this generation, like a date is a drink. So that like would feel like I wouldn't necessarily feel like I slept with someone before first date, but I guess your definition's more maybe like the more traditional, like pull out the stops, nice dinner, like that type. Yes. Okay. Well, what we've called it at match is the official first date. Got it. I agree with you. And by the way, one year on their Singles to America study, we did ask people, what do you a date is? Yeah. Uh, some people will say a video chat on the internet is a date. And I would agree with that. Right. And others certainly say having a drink or even having a coffee. So it's so interesting now. I mean, this is a good example of how times have changed so much that nobody knows what a first date yeah, is. Yeah, that's definitely true. Because I would even venture to say people even younger than me would say like, oh, I just like hanging out in a group or something is a date. Like it's so all over the place. And that's why there's so much confusion in modern dating because people think, right. what are we doing here? Right. Are we just hanging out? Are we friends with benefits? Or are we headed into a something more serious? And this goes into your whole research about slow love, fast sex, 
the extension of pre-commitment yeah. stage where historically, I think this is really interesting that marriage was the beginning of the relationship, but now it's the finale. So looking yeah. at your research on slow love, I really feel like there's some generational differences. I think baby boomers were all about traditional marriage and you meet one person mm-hmm. and you, you get married to them and then they experience the highest divorce rate. The consequence of that was Gen X saying, uh-uh, I'm not going to get married to someone just to get divorced. So I'm going to elongate this courtship process and maybe hook up with more people, test drive a little bit more before I settle down with someone. So Gen X created the, I say the hookup culture, which millennials took on and said, okay, we saw what you did, Gen X. You took on the hookup culture, STIs increased. I don't want any of that. So I'm going to extend the courtship process, but with a more intentional end goal, which is to find a meaningful relationship, which I'm seeing in Gen Z is that they're like very traditional. If you think about, I feel like they're, they're going full circle. They're going back to the very traditional values of, I definitely believe in marriage that can last a long time, but I'm going to wait a really long time to find the right person. Absolutely. They want it. And by the way, you know, you know, this whole concept of DTR, you know, define the relationship, the young want it defined. Right. And we asked, uh, at what point in the budding partner <laughs> should you have the, that conversation of, you know, defining the relationship? And the average time was yeah. four months. That's about right. <laughs> oh, I would never have asked. And I'm a baby boomer. I never would have asked somebody after four months of dating them you know, we had it. I never would have. But then again, maybe I'm not, I'm a little unusual. Isn't you wouldn't have because it's already defined or you wouldn't have because you wouldn't want to have that conversation. I wouldn't want it pinned down. But listen, most of the people in my generation married very young and I only married for about six months months and then didn't marry again. So (laughs) I'm probably a little unusual. You guys, singles today, but certainly millennials and Gen Z, they want to know everything about that person before they tie the knot. And they don't want to catch feelings and waste a lot of time Mm -hmm. with people who aren't going to be right for them. So they're having the sex. You guys are having the sex, but you're getting rid of that person much faster than older generations would have. We would get around and try to figure it out and talk to our girlfriends. What did he mean by this? And geez, I can't, I don't know if he's really interested. You guys want transparency. Very impressive. And so you start out as this just friends. You really get to know the person. Then you climb in bed with them, learn a lot between the sheets, and then you slowly come out and then you have the official first date and then you live together for a long period of time before you wed. And you know, it's so interesting. I mean, what 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 started this for me is it was a Singles in America study. Every year we ask this question, have you ever had a one night stand? 50% of singles say yes. Uh, over their life. Every year, over 50% have had a friends with benefits and over 50% of, of singles have had lived with somebody long-term before they married. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, this is reckless. I mean, why are you doing this? And I began to realize this is caution. You guys want to know every single thing about this person. When you walk down that aisle, you want to know who you got In fact, I began to think to myself, well, you know, with this long period of pre-commitment, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn how to get rid of somebody instead of sticking in something too long. So I began to think to myself, this slow love, fast sex, slow love, we will see more happy marriages because people have gotten rid of what they didn't want. So I did a study of 1,100 married people. One of the questions was, would you remarry a person you're currently married to? And 81% said yes. 
We may even be going towards more stable partnerships because millennials are taking it so seriously. So I want to unpack one piece that I've been curious about is like, I feel like the millennials are known as the hookup generation, but kind of all your stats are showing that like, actually, they are really looking for like real connection. Why do you think that that's kind of like the emphasis that it's more all about sex and less about feelings when you're kind of saying that it's that's like the means to get to those feelings? I don't know. I don't know why the press wants to continue to say all that. I mean, there's quite a few studies now that everybody thinks that everybody else woken up and they're not. Uh, in one study, I found something like 35% of singles want to remain a virgin in wow. marriage. That's a now, really high that's percentage. A real swing in another direction. I think you guys have grown up in a time of real turmoil. And I think the great many of us have been saying, I'm going to build a career. I'm going to get myself under control. I'm going to work for some acceptance. I'm going to, one third of singles today don't want to even start a relationship in the, until their finances right. are in order. You guys want to get things in order. Yeah. You want the career going the right direction. You want the finances going the right direction. And you're going to stick it out until you get that done. So I think we are hooking up. But just like you said, that was very smart that you guys are hooking up almost as a sex interview. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about this idea of slow love, no sex, what we're seeing right now with a sex drought with a younger generation? Um, I mean, most of that sex drought is because, first of all, they're living uh, at home. One third of of millennials (laughs) are living at home. Yeah. No money. And, <laughs> no money. And they're so ambitious. They don't want to catch feelings until they get themselves and their finances in order. Uh, so I don't regard it as much of the sex drought as, as very cautious people being more careful about sex. Uh, I'm not in the should business. Uh, 34% of people have had sex before the first date. Most millennials aren't scared of getting pregnant. They know how to handle that. They're not scared of, of disease. They know how to be safe. And they're not scared of the walk of shame. So the, the lid is off the pot. <laughs> and... Uh, and a lot of singles are using sex as an interview yeah. process uh, to see whether they want to spend time, money, energy, and perhaps their life with somebody. So all of these, it's so interesting because in my day, everybody thought that uh, we were having way too much sex. Now the whole thing is you're not having right. enough sex. I mean, get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, millennials are going to have sex. They're just slowing it down, making it smart. So there was one stat that was interesting. It said only 9% of singles want to date casually and 66% of singles are open to a new relationship. Which is a stat you should never tell Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know know the the person who used to be the sociologist at Tinder and even there, 80% of of those singles are looking for some kind of relationship. I will say I actually reactivated Tinder recently because forever I was like, I don't want to be on Tinder. It's a hookup only yeah. site. And I keep seeing people in their profiles being like, I'm here for a relationship, like really emphasizing but it. This is my question. <laughs> Do people actually right. mean what they say? Yeah. These are all self-reported stats. Exactly. I think all of my girlfriends would say they're looking for a serious relationship, but then I look at their actions and exactly. some of them are not. So what, why is there such a discrepancy here? I think honestly, it's what Helen just said of like, I want to get myself in order. Mm. I think that's a huge piece of it because I know know so many people personally like I think like we were talking about with like the men and women equality even though like that exists a lot of men still feel like I need to be a provider I need to make sure my finances are order and probably women too there's this path of like it's 
you can always self-improve, right? Like what's Mm. that line of like stopping and just being like, I'm going to go on this journey with someone versus like, I'm going to get to the very best possible piece of who I could be. Like you could be there till you're like 60 in theory, right? Like it it just never ends. (laughs) So maybe the question is on one hand, aspirationally, what do you want? Aspirationally, I think most people want a serious committed relationship. And the next question is, are you ready for right. achieving that right now? But then what's the definition of ready? Because I think that's like we were just saying, it's like it's like a hamster wheel. Like you could go on forever. That's for sure. Well, let's let's dive back to the brain here. You know, I and my colleagues are uh, the first in the world to put people in a mm-hmm. brain scanner and study the brain circuitry using functional uh, fMRI, find the brain circuitry of romantic love. And that brain circuitry, it's very clear brain circuitry. It comes from the very base of the brain, way below the cortex where you do your thing way below factories in the middle of your head that are orchestrate the emotions in a basic region linked with drive, with obsession, with motivation, with energy, with optimism. And that brain circuit can be triggered at any time. Brain circuitry for romantic love is like the fear system. Fear can be triggered at any time and romantic love can be triggered at any time. So my guess is when you talked about a girlfriend who said she wants a long-term partnership, then she doesn't behave that way. It's my guess is that she's going out with people, she's trying them out, and they're not for her, and she'll carry on a little while hoping so, but she hasn't triggered that brain circuitry and she's not off to the races. So it's my guess that you can be both at the same time. So are you are you in the camp that uh, finding the right person is more important than timing? I, I think the timing is absolutely essential. It's amazing how a perfect person can sit on your lap and if the timing isn't right for you, just don't even see them. It, there's so many factors that go into manic love, but I do think that timing is, is one of the essential. We carry in our head a love map, a list of what we're looking for in a partner. But when the timing is right and the person fits within that that list of traits, you can then fall madly in love. But no, I think timing plays a big role. So I think the other piece that's interesting that you kind of brought up, Helen, is that people are just like continuously trying people on for size. And I think there's also this line of like, you kind of at some point have to just double down on someone and like make a commitment and like see if it can grow together. We've talked to other experts too and like experiences personally is like no one's ever going to be perfect and like conflict is going to come up and you know you can't expect someone to be like identical to the way you think and all of that and people today are very quick to just like toss someone out and go to the next. What are your take on that? Right. Like- it's, you guys are smart. That is the biggest problem today. There's nothing wrong with these dating sites. I don't even call them dating sites. All they are is introducing sites. I mean, we can give you somebody from the right size, shape, background, uh, you know, educational level and interest. The only real algorithm is your own brain. Uh, and that's the problem. I mean, there's nothing wrong really with these dating sites, except that they give so many mm-hmm. options. And the problem is the brain is not built for all these options. We now know, scientists, other scientists have discovered that um, the brain has sort of a sweet spot. We can cope with between five and nine options. At once? Yes. If you go out and you meet between five and nine people, you can more than likely still remember who they are and what you did on the date. After that, you begin to, and all the dating services should know this, certainly Match does, the more people out with after nine, the less and less likely you are going to find anybody. So the bottom line is you've got to learn how to use introducing sites. So what I say to people, and that's one of the two things that I always say, after you've met, not just two, met nine people, stop. 
get off the dating site and get to know at least one of those people better. Our data all show that the more you get to know somebody, the more you like them, the more that you think that they are like you. So it's nothing really wrong with the dating sites. They're going to give you all those options, but we don't know how right. to use it. So stop after nine. For one, that's the first problem. And the second is think of reasons to say yes. There's a huge brain region called negativity bias. We remember the negative. Uh, you know, you go out to with a whole pile of friends and everybody's really charming and sweet. The person says, did you gain a little weight? What do you go home? You go home, that's right. all you remember. When you meet somebody the first time, you have know so little about them that you overweight those few things. They say one thing that's silly and you think, oh, they've got no sense of humor. You know, they say one thing that's a little odd and you say, oh, he's not a kind person or he's a lazy, this and that. We overweight them. So stop after nine and think of reasons to say yes on that first date instead of no. Those are great pieces of advice. I think I'd love to just like wrap up with some takeaways of like, how do we actually like take the data from this survey and make it actionable? So I feel like my biggest takeaway of all of this is like, there's new rules now, right? Like, so it's like hard to balance kind of what you've been told for years, especially if you kind of straddle the t the higher end of being a millennial. But I think what we're kind of seeing from this study and other studies out there is that a lot of like the old stereotypes of men not wanting relationships or sex being kind of um, seen as not a step towards a relationship, like all of that isn't necessarily the way it is today. So it's easier said than done, but it's like, how do we kind of like separate all like out kind of what we've learned for years and really mm -hmm. focus in on yeah. what's currently happening? Well, just listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you some other things, you know, from what we've discovered, men were comfortable with women making the right. first move. So take a chance. You don't have to take a huge chance. Just invite them to a movie you're dying to see. But I think women need to take more of the initiative, not only because men want them to, but because men are scared. Yeah. I mean, this Me Too movement is really showing that men don't know how to act anymore. They don't want to be called uh, to task for a tiny little mistake of putting his arm around her in the movie house and her suddenly saying that was inappropriate. So, you know, um, men are going to sit back and women need to take a little bit more of the lead. Another thing is we have to, you've got to remember that men are looking for love. Even Tinder is not a hookup site. Over 80% of people are actually looking for some sort of relationship. I think my biggest takeaway, just to piggyback on all of what you both said, is I look at my parents and how when I talk about technology with them, they start frowning and they're like, oh, it's so complicated, but I need to learn new technology because I want to stay relevant. And I mm -hmm. think it's the same thing with dating, is that we can't stay in our own mindset and say, whatever's happening in modern dating, I don't want to worry about it. I just believe in what I believe. But it, there is something to be said about evolving with how modern dating is changing, evolving our mindset and knowing that we're constantly changing. That's what's going to help us stay not only relevant, but also have more success when it comes to modern dating. Well, what's really important about it is you're fighting to win life's greatest prize, Love. which is amazing. Exactly. <laughs> it is with this person that you're going to pass your DNA on into tomorrow. You know, romantic love, I mean, courtship and romantic love and feelings of deep attachment evolved so that we could pair bond and send our DNA. Tomorrow. These are survival mechanisms. I mean, this isn't staying relevant. This is staying eternal. Yeah, definitely. 
I think my other takeaway too is like, I think we're in a really great position that we're being cautious and we're Mm. trying to find the right partner and all of that. But I do think there is a line and I think like it is up to us. Like I think that point of like, once you have like five to nine people in your orbit, like- Stop. Exactly. Because it's like, again, it's like that hamster wheel. Like you can just continue forever. So I think with all of this is like all the options, all of like the self-improvement, like that's not a bad thing, but it's up to us to use it in a way that actually gets us to our end goal, which is finding a connection and finding love. And that's a great way to wrap up this conversation with some stats for everyone, because we didn't get to all the stats from the Singles in America survey. You know, we hear from you all that there's a narrative out there that's there's nobody out there that's for me. Nobody's looking for a serious relationship. Everyone's just looking for something casual. They don't know what they want. But according to this survey, 63% of millennials want to find love. 70% of Gen Z does as well. Only 9% of singles want to date casually. And 66% of singles are open to new relationships. Those are some major stats to digest for you all because the narrative you're telling yourself may not line up with what's actually happening. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Helen Fisher. It's been such a pleasure to talk about not just your research, but- And good luck to the two of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And we really appreciate your time. We'll link to the survey as well as all your other studies as well. Yeah. Thank All you. right. Take Thank care. you so much, Helen. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Stay, Stay dateable. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag Stay Dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.